Welcome to Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Uh, joining me is Ryan Top, and we also have our uh, MKE Tailgate Podcast Network cohort, Paul Noonan, here, filling in for Jim. Hi, everybody. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here this week talking baseball as opposed to just doing your typical uh, Packers rundown Yeah, and commiserating with JR about talking about baseball in some yeah, way. Yeah, trying to talk with JR about baseball on the podcast and having Matt yell at us because he doesn't like baseball. So always fun to be here. Yeah. That's sad. It, it's Well, who doesn't not, like baseball? You know what? People can like what they want. They can. If, you know, he's on a Packers podcast. He's not advertising that he's he somehow going to talk about baseball in any way. Weird, weird niche tastes in sports. He likes football, powerlifting, and lacrosse. So, um, powerlifting? Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. Did he talk about that on the pod at all? Because I don't remember hearing that. On, on the, very, the most recent one we did. Um, yep. And talked all about the lacrosse teams he follows. It, um, he, he brings some diversity to the podcast because otherwise it's just me and JR talking about who's balder, which is JR. But uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Matt, he's a little younger. He, uh, he, he tells us about things that we otherwise wouldn't stumble upon. So he's nice to have around. He's the meme insider. He is. He's so great at that. if you want to know what memes are, he'll tell you about them. In great depth. In and I guess detail. if you follow Matub on <laughs> Twitter, that's where you can actually see the memes. That are generally described. That that you can. And on Acme Packing Company, he basically does all of our, our visual work to some extent. So. so he's just there for the clicks. He is. He's, he is literally just there for the clicks. <laughs> we also talk about Matt's clicks a lot. So it's Call Me Matub on Twitter, by the way. Yeah. So check that out. And again, that's reporting is eligible. That comes out. You guys are coming out every, every Wednesday. We post every Wednesday unless something disastrous happens, which the last two weeks it basically has because I lost my voice last week and couldn't talk at all. So good times. I'm back now. Yay. So yeah, make sure to subscribe to that podcast as well. Uh, you can help fans find this podcast by rating and interviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, uh, and you'll usually find that on our Monday morning posts when we post the episode uh, and finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview, which those have been insightful. I've enjoyed all of those, I'm Paul. glad to hear that. Thank you. And I apologize. I didn't miss this week's. As I said, I could not talk this week. There's not a lot of insight into the Redskins, which <laughs> if you watch, I, I was desperate to find <laughs> out how, how they were bad. They are. They're literally probably the worst team in football. The, the, the Dolphins are actively trying to be bad. The Redskins are not. They're trying to be good and they're worse anyway. Their owner is the most meddlesome owner. He went over the head of the front office and drafted a quarterback who they all knew was terrible and they're now stuck with forever. They have child beating jerk adrian peterson they're just an awful team um it's good when they lose 50 to nothing and everybody's sad so and they're well on their way here it's yeah, 14 nothing as we looking, are looking speaking good, looking good so far on the packer front so if i was gonna skip a week this was the one to skip yeah uh milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon four brewing in their english shell malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades you know them for the great beers like dragon flute block party and their flagship fantasy factory ipa on december 20th carbon four will be releasing threat level midnight s'more stout this beer always goes fast and for the first time they'll have it available in cans for you to take home so get ready for an all-day party celebrating this one-of-a-kind beer at the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side. As always, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. 
So we were talking about this before we started recording. Last year, we had nothing to talk about at this time of year. It was amazing. And this year... It's a bountiful feast. So much going on. We get to the end of the week, and it seems like what happened at the beginning of the week was, you know, a month or two ago. It does. It really, really does. And we're going to talk about that because it's like, yeah, there was some big stuff that happened on Monday this week, and it's just been completely buried by a million other things. Which is fun to see, finally, because everybody complained about boring off-seasons the past couple of years. It was a death march, the last two. Especially 17 was just a death march. Yeah, part of it is that, you know, they've had, instead of um, having guys that they want to sign necessarily, which they did, we'll get to that, but they also had guys to lose. So, I mean, we're we're two angles this year. We're not just waiting for Stearns to see how the market flushes out. We've actually had guys to hopefully get back that we didn't. So, we're, we're like in all pools of of MLB free agency at this point. Well, it's been an interesting strategy because they've basically cut ties with, I mean... Most of the team? Yeah. (laughs) Anybody in the roster is probably going to be about 50% new going in next year. It'll kind of depend on who gets promoted and who doesn't and all that. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a a huge shuffle. Which we've seen this weird reaction online because people were frustrated with a lot of these players like Travis Shaw and who else was let go? Um, Jimmy Nelson, Jimmy Nelson, guys yeah. like that. Alex Pe- Claudio. Yeah, people were very frustrated by these players during the season, and then once the club made a decision not to bring them back next season, or at least not offer them uh, arbitration, right? Like people have lost their minds. Yeah, I think it's a lot of well, some different people because, like, I did not want them to let Travis Shaw walk, but they did, and I think it's maybe a mistake, but. You know, I, I'm probably in the minority on that. I mean, is this a matter of just like the unknown is scary to people? It is. And I mean, also, the, the good players weren't brought back first. And then it just kind of piles on in everybody's mind like, well, are they going to keep anybody? So, I mean, once you once it's Grandel and Mustakis and Thames, then it's like it, it, everybody just snowballs it like, well, they're just not bringing back anybody that they had before. Well, and the other thing that's happened here is you have four players that I think basically almost everybody wanted them to bring back at subcapacity at Pomerantz. You had yeah. uh, Jordan Lyles, you had Grandall, and you had Moustakis, who people wanted back, all have signed. They've been some of the first yep. free agents off the we board. We have not had to wait. They're not sitting around for months just out there or waiting to see what happens. Like, they got gobbled up right away. And that's led to a perception, I think, of people getting panicked, like, there's nothing left on the market. Well, yeah, there's hundreds of guys out there. There's literally 200 free agents this winter. So, like, there's lots of guys out there. But yes, these are the players that we know and that we have the most attachment to and in many cases wanted back. So it's natural that people are going to be a little panicked by it. But you got to like take a step back and go, OK, there's still a lot of fish in the sea. Like, well, and Grendel was the surprising one because he got the contract offer that he was looking for right away. Right away out agents, of the box, Somebody, which yeah. isn't how free agency has gone the past you know, two years. The past two seasons, it's been really slow, but it's been longer than that, that guys have had to wait you know, on their deals will finally come to him. So, I mean, you can't blame him when he gets an offer he likes and Chicago, you know, the White Sox are clearly making a push to be really competitive next season. Oh, yeah, because they went out and I think the Marcelo Zuna thing is final, but it's at least rumored to be like close to the goal line. So uh, they're really looking to add to go with what was a pretty promising young core to begin with. So it's kind of the White Sox way. This is how they operated last time they were good, which was quite a while ago now. But uh they aren't afraid to spend when they think that they're close. So, Though, I mean, the Grand All thing, did you see that that was their largest free agent contract in their franchise history? No. 
I, I mean, I didn't see that, but that. but I mean, they had done <laughs> extensions for homegrown players, like we talked about Canerco okay. and Thomas. Like they had guys that they'd given bigger contracts to. But this was the the contract that this beat out was the Albert Bell contract. You think about that. I mean, that's twenty years ago now, more than twenty years ago in the past, like 22, 23 years. That's pretty so it was like ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the White Sox, we know they sit on some money. So it, it is interesting to watch because they have some really talented young players coming up and now they're putting some, you know, more expensive vets, veterans around yeah. them. So I think it's it's what everybody wants Milwaukee to do. You I know, think that's right. Br- bring Basically. in, you know, you have your homegrown talent that you're not paying you know, an exorbitant amount to, and then they go out and sign some of these guys that can basically round out the roster. So we'll see. We have some time to find out if, if they're going to take that track, I wouldn't bet it'll be white Sox level. Yeah. Cause I think the guys that uh, everybody'd be excited for them to sign are going to be quite a bit more expensive than what Yusmani Grandel signed. for. Oh, you know what? Before we start, I want to ask you guys this because you were not on the last pod. It was just JP and I did the emergency podcast and we talked mostly about that trade. What was your thoughts of the trade? The getting uh, Luis Urias and Eric Lauer and giving up Grisham and Zach Davis. Man, I forgot. It. That seems so long ago now. I mean, um, it really does, but it was just, you know, the day before Thanksgiving. So um, I, I, I'm a big fan of that trade. I don't actually think Trent Grisham's that great. Um, he plays a non, you know, pre- premier position. He wasn't really a prospect. He's, when I was on the pod last year, when he got called up, I, like I was like, it was a surprise, and JP was like, "Well, actually, I recommend you to pick him up." With my VP column, like, yes, good job, JP. But like, he was not on a whole bunch of radars. He's kind of just a guy, I think. And Urias is like a pretty good player. He, he's versatile. I know his hit tool is not all the way there, and might not be. But like, you need to replace Arcia. You need guy, a guy who could play lots of places right now because there's nobody on the team right now. So that's a, a really good trade. And um, the pitcher. Seems good. Don't know anything about him other than he throws really hard. So, Yeah, I mean, losing Zach Davies, again, that's another guy who I think people will get frustrated by, but he was also, he had his stretches where he was really good, Yeah, and he was an anchor for that rotation at times. So, so I think that's a little bit of where people get nervous. I get that. I, and I, I, I love Zach Davies. He's one of my like my things because he always leads the league in, in uh, caught strikes above average in baseball prospectus. Like every year he does that. Um, so he's fun, but when he goes, when he eventually declines, He's, it's going to be real bad real fast. And you see that with him when he gets out of sorts, too. Like, he's terrible when he loses his command. Well, and given what they just did at catcher, exactly that, that thing may have been coming pretty yeah, fast. He's not a fit on the team anymore. Though, so. to be fair, Eric Lauer is kind of the same way. He's left-handed, but is more of a needs-to-control-the-outside-of-the-strike-zone sort right. of guy. He was a first-round draft pick, but like it's more of a location sort of deal. And he's going to probably get hurt somewhat by having nervous but we'll, we'll get to that i'm sure they have a plan they didn't just make those deals and go well we hope this works out or or then after the fact looked at it and said yeah. oh man this this might hurt us in some way so it, yeah it'll be interesting to see okay so the list of guys who signed elsewhere we had mike I, the most surprising one was mike Mustakas signing with the reds a four-year 64 million dollar deal after struggling to get like more than a one-year deal for double digits even. So. I mean, when the Brewers originally traded for him from Kansas City, he had, what, a $6 million, $8 million contract with Kansas right. City? Right. He, he had signed back for almost nothing for a one-year deal, presumably so that he could get out from under the, uh, the compensation pick attachment. But then that didn't really pay off for him. And I think what probably happened was him and Boris set their sights too high because he's a Boris client. They set their sights too high in the 2008, 
2018-2019 offseason. And when the music stopped, the Brewers were like the best option. And he just wanted to come back to Milwaukee because he enjoyed his time and, and thought it was a good place for him to, you know, compete and sure. win and do that. Well, and I think Moustaka showed he could have another good season with the Brewers because he didn't really have a great season when the Brewers acquired him. He was fine. He, yeah, but he, he wasn't having a great uh, season with Kansas with, City. With KC, that's true. He yeah. wasn't. The Brewers traded for him. He played better in Milwaukee, but I think people still had questions about him. He, for the most part, had a good season last year, even though he struggled with some injuries. I do remember when they brought him over from Kansas City, and he had just changed his approach to a much more pull-heavy approach after being an all-fields all guy, and I think that plays much better in Kansas City's park, which is gigantic. Um, but when you go all pull and play in Miller Park and you're lefty, it, it's the best thing you can possibly do. So. Or now in Great American Small Park. <laughs> also like, that. Yeah, like he's he's set up for that. And you guys caught what they're going to do with him this year, right? Because Jose Peraza is still at third right. base. He's playing second, right? He's going to second full time, yeah. at least in the beginning of this deal. Peraza, I think, is a free agent like a year or two from now. So what will happen then is he'll slide over to third towards the end of his, his deal. It's still, you know... He, Joe Sheehan pointed this out that, like, I, we both, I think, saw this tweet. Or did you see this, too? It was like, are we allowed to criticize, like, uh, deals on baseball grounds? Because this just doesn't, like, make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, yeah, he's getting $16 million a year from the Reds who, yeah, they needed hitters. But the biggest problem the Reds had was they didn't have guys who get on base. And Mike Moustakis does not get on base. That's true. Like, he hits for power. He hits for a reasonable average. But he's not taking many walks, and so that doesn't really help also, their offense that way. Also, he's a pretty way. good defensive third baseman. I know he keeps getting played elsewhere, but it does actually rob him of some value to not play there for real. He's he's yeah, he's solid defensively. He, I know he's at not third like base. outstanding, but he's pretty good. Well, and his best asset defensively, I think Keith Law talked about this. His best asset defensively is a strong arm. Yeah, and at second base, it's the position it means the least. You know, other than first base, I guess. But yeah, his best asset defensively doesn't really play. So. Yeah, Whatever. It'll be interesting to see how that works out for uh, Cincinnati, but good luck to Moose. I'm glad he got paid. Yep, He deserved it because he, he had some really good seasons with Kansas City. He finally got to the point where he should have been able to make some money, and he got stuck in this new economy in baseball where he had to basically grind it out for a couple seasons. So uh, Jordan Lyle signed a two-year uh, $16 million deal with the Rangers. Uh, the Brewers were the runner-up on that one. Well, they were among the runners-up. There were they were involved in it. What's that were, mean? There were like there MLB trade rumors ran a thing, and there were like six teams listed. So I don't know. That's not really runner we're up. All, we're all just the runners up. Yeah. Yeah. All, <laughs> so I mean, I think that they would have liked to have had him back at a you know better price tag. And they look at this and they say, "Well, we can find a guy who's I mean, ninety percent as good of Jordan Lyles for." Would you really want to pay for Jordan Lyles? No, Jordan Lyles not. was a nice like guy to add to the the roster last season, but I don't want to like pay for him agreed he's just a guy and he play. they have this they have this habit of getting guys who are just fine and they play well for the brewers for two months but it, they get exposed over time jordan lyles is fine but he's nothing to write home about so this is fine yeah except the run he had and say thanks yeah. Yeah, that was that. great thanks but you that. don't you don't pay him because he had a small amount of success for nope. the brewers no you don't and i think that this is a, a real case of people saw him do well for the Brewers after yeah. having wanted him back in the first place. And it, so it became like a confirmation bias sort of thing where like people really got attached to that. And yeah, he, you're just going to probably get a guy who's a fourth or fifth starter 
and who will be maybe on the fringes of the rotation at times, depending on how the rest of it shakes out. Oh. And you don't want to pay $8 million a year for that. I'll bet the Brewer front office has a list that is titled Jordan Lyles Pitchers that's like 250 players long that they just go and pick from. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They Yes, they have their, their eyes on the next... Drew Pomerantz and Jordan Lyles, as opposed to Drew Pomerantz and Jordan they, Lyles. They don't have names attached to whoever their pitchers are on their you know spreadsheet or whatever they have that they're evaluating. Yep. It's just, just it's just a bunch of numbers randomly associated <laughs> with players, so there, there's no like attachment to them at all. Probably it's their draft ID number. Yeah, from way back when. Yeah. I'm sure it's very cold. <laughs> it has to be. That's the way you do that. So uh, we have a question from uh, PJ Wessels on patreon after depressing merseyside derby oh yeah i didn't delete that part of it yes and it was uh well for everton fans i suppose for he liverpool said, fans like jp and i it was he said great. he could use some optimism so yeah. uh the front office is is the front office going to do something with the payroll they've cut <laughs> i think they're going to i still think they're going to spend most of it i mean last year they opened at 122 well yeah I anthony rendon will cost most of it <laughs> i still think they're going to get well up close to it i don't know i mean at this point if they come in at 110 are you mad if they open the season at 110 does that annoy you so i don't get annoyed at what the actual number is depending on what players they actually get with getting to that number so yeah if the talents are there i don't yeah who really cares what they're spending but right. you would think that they're going to have to spend money to get to that talent level again so if they're vastly un, like if i look at their roster at 110 and it's like 10 war worse than it was last year that's annoying that's not good uh, i will be annoyed at that but if you know if they put together pieces that look like okay i can see how this fits together and this works um potentially that's fine i don't have a problem with that i'm not big on the you know the the big spending equaling winning thing. I know we have a lot of Twitter compatriots who, you know, uh, think everybody's underpaid and everybody, you know, should get paid more, but and are relying on the graciousness of MLB front offices to make that happen. Like, not like that. It's not realistic. They're going to cut as much as they can and be as good as they can at the same time. So if they do that, that's fine. Well, yeah, and I mean, again, for, going back to it, hold on. For the the guy should get paid more. It's because yeah. the bottom should get paid more. It is. And so there's a structure in place that guys aren't getting the money they should. Yeah. Um, it, it's not the free agents. Absolutely not. I mean, the, those so, guys should get paid. But if the bottom was paid more, it then the way, PA, like, free agents would make I sense. Always, I always wonder, like, does the, the Players Association actually employ, like, statisticians to help them make cases and, and negotiate? Because You know, the thing is, like, they, Boris Corp is part of the Players Association. So they do, way, And they do. Yeah. We know they do they, because they've talked about it. So if you could take all the players right now and you could offer them two choices. So... Either you can be a free agent from your age 21 to 27 season or 28, whatever, something at the middle, 28 season, or be a free agent from 28 to 30, whatever, when you retire. Um, and you, after those things, there's a draft either way. What do you pick? Like, what do you think most players actually say? Because um, it's, it's probably better to be a free agent when you're 21 to 27. And that's fundamentally where all of this problem, all, all of the players' problems come from. Like, they're... They're locked up for their primes, which are now younger than they used to be. Well, the old agreement was that we, you're going to get vastly underpaid in your 20s, but you're going to spend that time accruing a name for yourself and yeah. building up a brand. And then when you're kind of in your prime, in your late 20s, you're going to hit the open market and, get paid. and you are going to have a chance to get vastly overpaid for the rest of your career. How much did the steroid era screw players right now? A lot. Just a ton. Um, yeah. More than I think anybody realizes. So. Um, just it made it seem like veterans were were better players, and they're just not. Um, 
it's a huge problem for them. And that's the entire cause of their plight. So um, corporations are greedy. Yes, that's true. Obviously, we all, welcome to America. Hi. Um, <laughs> the problem with the player, they have a strong union. They seem to not quite understand what their problem is. So. Well, in this, these last couple negotiations, the union got away from like their fundamental stuff. They started agreeing to things like absolute caps on the amount of money that players could get in the international market. Yep. They started agreeing to all kinds of like very hard, uh, putative uh, levels of luxury tax that are keeping teams from spending. And in exchange, they got like an extra seat on the bus in, in spring training games, and like. Uh, personalized chefs in the clubhouse, which granted these things are good. Like you want these things, but you shouldn't be trading away like your fundamental ability to earn for those things, which nope. they really seem to do. Yeah, so. it's, been, it's been a problem on that side. But getting back to it, though, like the front office is always going to try and spend the least amount possible. And if they can get good players doing so, I don't care. That's fine. If they also spend two hundred million dollars and are good, that's also good. That's fine too. I don't care about that. It's not my money. Um, how they go about it, I'm totally indifferent to. Like, I know we like to play front office here and compare, you know, war versus spend and things like that. But it doesn't really matter, ultimately. It, it's just, did you get enough players to be good enough to make the playoffs? That's that's it. I don't care how you do it. Do well, you want. And a lot of times, I think the way I see people trying to evaluate that, it feels like they're using information that's a decade old and still applying that to today's market. And that's it's just not the case. Information I, and paradigms cuz like people are still looking at this like it's the old system and it's not like it's clearly changed. The way teams run things now is so much different than what it used to be. Right. I, I saw a conversation between some of the prospectus guys, I can't remember who it was anymore about um, how we talk about the valuation of like dollar for war as based on free agency costs. And Teams don't look at it that way. They pay people in three different sects, and in arbitration, in you know pre-arbitration, and in free agency. And dollar for war is way less than it is in the free agency market. So that's what they calculated on. And even you're seeing this now in arbitration. If it costs you more than that in arbitration to pay a guy, they're not going to offer it because it's not a good spend. It's not a good idea. So like everything is way out of date. Uh, wins are way cheaper than everybody realized, and. That's the the world we live in now. It's kind of like the uh, what was it when when the Cowboys made the uh, Herschel Walker trade? <laughs> they assigned dollar values or whatever talent values to all the yep. picks that they, they acquired. That's true. They came up with the the first pick chart. Yeah. They came up with that, and then it was just like used for the next twenty years without anybody without, like yeah. really evaluating whether or not the value they assigned to those picks was accurate. People just accepted it because it worked for them. It worked for Dallas. And it sometimes it kind of feels like this in baseball as well, as people just Except want. Except this is on the fan side only. The oh, teams, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, the teams are a lot smarter. That's why to complain about the way the team. Yeah, yeah, that's why to complain about the way the teams are going about this. It's like they're using information that we don't. Well, we grasp. talked about this this week on the phone, Steve, where, yeah, you know that they have, they have figured out, like, in a very detailed way, in like probably simulations and whatever, figuring out, well, what does this mean for the market? And every new signing is a new data point that they plug in. It, and it oh, re yeah. That's why, like I said, the, the Moustakis one, they had to just throw out because that made no sense. Well, they're just like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's what's happening hey, this, here. this data point's an outlier. Yep. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you have a team that's in the moral hazard, like the Reds are, because that guy, Dick Williams, their GM, is on the hot seat and is going to get fired if they don't win something. And so he's just throwing money willy-nilly and an owner who's willing to let him do it. And so this is what happens. We haven't had that the last couple of years where yeah, you had it's somebody behaving that way. It's good to see. It, it it's is a, good it's to see. It's a nice throwback. It should happen more often. Like, you should have at least a few teams that are just dumb or overly aggressive to kind of balance things out 
you know? Yeah, it's it's a bygone era where you can kind of have a little bit of a Wild West feel to what, what teams are going to do. So, uh, okay, so the Brewers did make a trade uh, and acquired their Yasmani Grandal replacement. Do we want to call it that? In no, full? I think we, we let's just talk about the catcher position generally because that's what we're going to end up with here. Yes. Um, so um, it, it's Omar Narvaez. Is that how you say that? Narvaez. 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 Yes. Narvaez. Okay. It's so they, easy to misspell. Yeah. I, I got called out for it on Twitter. I, I, I was it. careful not to do Navarez, which I saw 100 people do, but I still misspelled it a different way. Yeah. So the Brewers traded Adam Hill in a comp B pick uh, in 2024, Narvaez, uh, to the Mariners. And uh, he can hit. Yeah. I mean, look at his numbers from last year, 278, 353, 460. And that's playing in Seattle, which is still, you know, pitcher-ish. So it is. Well, and the and the AL West has pitcher parks. It does. It, both all the West <laughs> Coast is like that, where there's a lot of there's a lot of pitcher-friendly locations. And actually, I I went and looked this up. His 120 OPS plus was better than Grandall's. It was. It was. Now, granted, Narvaez is a strict lefty hitting player, and part of the value of Grandall was he's a switch hitter, and you can you know you're not worried about that in the same way, right? But they also do have a right-handed complement to go with him in Manny Pena, who last year murdered left-handed pitching. He did. Um, so that is a, probably a little bit of a small sample size outlier for his career. He has almost no platoon split. Now those grow yeah. over time. Um, at, you know, two years ago he was actually reverse, which which is crazy pants. Um, but it's a. I mean, they complement each other well. Pena is also an excellent defensive catcher. Um, he hits from the opposite side, so. I think it's, they have a good catcher battery now. It's it's going to be worse than having Grandal, who is good at literally everything uh, except throwing guys out, I guess. But who cares? Which um, that that's lost value over time, anyway. Yeah, nobody runs, so it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but it it you can see this is one of those things where like uh, went through when they signed him. Like he he's a butcher, so let's just be upfront about that. He is a butcher behind the plate. He is. One of the worst framing catchers in the league. He is the worst on a pitch per pitch basis. On a yeah. pitch, okay. Well, he was second last in uh, in prospectuses. Gross numbers. I did not look at the pitch per pitch. He was the like the third worst at blocking balls in the dirt. Um, and so he's he's not good defensively, but Pena is excellent. Um, so that's fine. You can bring him in if it becomes a problem, and they should be able to swap freely if they need to go, you know, defensive offensive. So that's good. Well, and I mentioned this on Twitter, and I think it is maybe getting lost a little bit. We are going to a 26-man roster next year, and it is in very high probability that they limit teams to carrying 13 pitchers, which means 13 position players. Teams in the last few years, the Brewers have generally carried 12, sometimes 11 position players, uh, never really 13. So they're basically getting a free bench spot, and I think there's a very good chance that we will see, not all the time, but we will see frequently uh, them carrying a third catcher. Which would allow them then to do things like, okay, Narvaez gets two at-bats, you're ahead in a game, is going to catch the last four innings of a game. Yeah. I could see them doing that on a fairly regular basis, knowing that they have more flexibility on the bench to do that. I think that we're going to see this not just, and we're, we're seeing it already, we're going to see this not just at catcher, but at other positions as well, where they're going to take advantage of extra bench space to do a yeah. little bit of you know offense, defense, platooning, they're going to find guys who are really good at one thing. Like Narvaez is a really good hitter. Mm-hmm. Pena is a really good defender. Okay, well, get those on the field at the times when you really need them, and then, you know, yeah, make allowances elsewhere. So this also seems very one-sided to me. Like uh, I, I of course don't follow prospects as closely as you guys do, and JP for sure. 
did what CL get anything out of this? Uh, that guy's a non-prospect as far as I know. No, I mean, Hill had a good year and he is kind of he was a guy the Brewers picked up because of they liked the Trackman stuff. So they liked his you know, the way he he uh, shapes pitches and all that. He was that kind of a pickup for them. Okay. They like smart pitchers, guys who are going to have some the ability to like hit the corners and all that. So he fits that way. And I think Seattle probably looks at him in that way. I think the more interesting part of this, and we actually had some questions, so I'll hold off, but the, the compensation pick is kind of an interesting part of this too. So how does that compensation pick factor into them signing a free agent this off season? What do you mean? Well, when you have to give up compensation picks, when you sign free agents, like where does this factor in? Oh, it doesn't. It, it does, does not. not. No, that's the a great thing about it. They don't. This pick is not one that they could lose. They lose the Brewers by virtue of being in revenue sharing and the lowest end of things. When they lose a guy like last year, when they signed uh, Yasmani Grandal, they lost a pick for that. It was their third rounder. Uh, teams that are in markets like, say, Chicago, they give up their first rounder to sign a uh, Yasmani Grandal. That's why those teams really don't want to do it nearly as much. And it's kind of a it's a market inefficiency the Brewers have started to exploit a little bit where they can give up a third rounder, which is it's about nothing, but it's it's not much. Like I said, they need to go out and sign guys like they need to stack them. So that way you give up like a third, a fourth, et cetera, as opposed to like a third rounder every year. Well, and that has been discussed. Like, yeah, if you're going to sign a guy, sign a sign a bunch. Yeah, well, usually though the guys that have draft and I always say, I attached, always I always think of that usually cost a lot too. Yeah, I always think of that though because when uh, CC Sabathia after 2008 signed with the Yankees, he was the second most valuable free agent signed that year. So Teixeira carried the highest value, and the Angels got that pick. Mm-hmm. Though they didn't use that pick to sign Trout, they didn't. No. But it's nice to think that that <laughs> was is. the reason that the Brewers don't have Mike Trout. Yeah. That's it's a rough one, actually. Yeah. So, uh, but the Yankees did it back in 2008. That's why I'm like, stack the picks. So that way, if you're gonna if you're gonna kick picks, you're kicking them later and later every time. Well, when you're the Yankees and you can sign Mark Teixeira and CC Sabathia in the same offseason to like massive free agent contracts, yeah, that works. I am calling for the Brewers to be the 2008, uh, 2009 New York Yankees. Good luck with that. They'd win a World Series the next year, wouldn't they? I think that's Probably how that works. That's how it works. Yeah. That is how that well, works. Well, no, the Yankees did win the 2009 World they Series. They did. Yeah. Yes, that's just math. Like, so, yeah. That's, yeah. It, it, they would clearly be the favorites for, for next season. Um, okay, we got a couple questions um, from Charlie Robleski on Patreon. This is the second year in a row the Brewers traded a draft pick early in the offseason. Is this a coincidence, a consequence of the win now mode, or something philosophical from a value standpoint? I'm wondering if this is a philosophical thing. I, this does actually make me think that. Now, this is very different. Last year, they gave up a comp round A pick, which meant it was the picks right after the first round. This is comp B that they're giving up this year, which means it's after the second round. That's a significantly less important draft pick. Yeah, it, it almost doesn't matter. It's, it's very low cost. It's, it's, there's not a lot there. I mean, the biggest thing that it is is actually the money that you're allowed to then spend based on it because you can then reallocate that and you know potentially go after a higher-end guy in some other capacity. So that's maybe the bigger aspect of it. But yeah, I, but I do think this is maybe them saying that we are going to use these as trade assets uh, because they give us a bigger ROI, we can get more for them, which 
I don't know. We, we could talk about the Alex Claudio thing because now we know that they didn't tender Alex Claudio. So they gave a what I think ended up being like the 38th or 39th pick last year to get Alex Claudio for a season and then let him go. I mean, I mean, you'd argue that Claudio was a solid asset for the Brewers last year. He was fine. And even he though was, he frustrated a lot of people, but he's also a declining asset this year because of the change we think in the rules that are coming. And that's, I think, played a big role in why they didn't bring him back. I think that if that rule, if they didn't think that rule was changing, there's a much better chance he's still on the team. Okay, so, so we have a question from Anthony Pollard on Twitter. Uh, I think it's Twitter. Yes, are the Brewers bad at drafting? And I <laughs> ask this because is this why they're trading picks away? They'd rather go out and sign the guys they want as opposed to try to take chances in the draft and uh, consistently be underwhelmed? I mean, I don't think they're bad at drafting. Nobody's as good as people think most teams are at it. Like, it's very hard. Drafting in baseball is, is extremely difficult, and there's a few teams that seem to have, like, figured out, like, a magic formula. Like, the say, Dodgers here, are Here's another thing. Gods. Are, other, are teams just better at drafting now? And so when you have late picks, it's just not worth trying to wait for actual talent to fall. That's definitely true. Um, uh, you, I, I should have done more research. I read an article about the Cardinals, um, who used to be the gods of this, of late round picks hitting, and never changed. I think it's actually in um, the the most recent Astros book, which is now dated for garbage can banging. Um, but uh, basically, the, the Cardinals got passed um, on their old strategies that they never changed of finding diamonds in the rough when everybody else got better and started finding them and drafting them higher, and they stopped hitting on those sort of mid-round picks that they had grown so accustomed to. So... That, it's definitely true that that's happened. Um, and I also think there is a big difference in player development in a lot of teams as well that that contributes to this. So if you've got Dodger money, you know you might not be that much better at drafting than a lot of other teams where a lot of the information is shared and there's not a lot of difference in what people are basing their decisions on. But you can have more facilities. You can have better training. So you have the best of both worlds. You're finding guys and you're cranking out developmental success stories more than a lot of other teams. Are well, doing I think too. the Dodgers specifically, I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, they They're do. taking guys that they think like Will Smith, who's emerged as one of the best young catchers in the game. They took him knowing that they wanted to have him make a swing change and they were able to sell him on it. Yep. And then they were able to get him to do it. And now he is really, really good. And that all goes hand in hand. And it's not something that, you can just like look into like where you just happen to get a guy late and oh he's way better than we thought yep. that's not what that was this was a they've targeted a specific skill set and then use that to improve it and that takes you having good scouts it takes you having good development people it takes the whole organization sort of being focused is the Maryvale redevelopment or um is is that going to help their development system? That's the hope. Is that they they plowed fifty million dollars into this, like basically a, it's basically driveline, but for the brewers only. Yep. And so they want to be able to develop specifically pitchers. That's what they're really focused on here is is developing up pitchers. And they've started to draft. Ethan Small is a hundred percent a draft pick made with this in mind that you are going to he's going to use these facilities and is going to use this dedication that they have to improving 
and is going to benefit from that. So that was a pick that they made with the idea of we're going to get him to improve. Well, I bring that up partially because, you know, I'll see like, well, what are the Brewers doing with like the uh, MLB advanced media sale money or stuff like that? You know, how are they spending their money kind of thing? And basically what they made on that sale, they put into the Maryvale redevelopment. Yeah, and like it's almost like dollar for dollar exactly mm-hmm. what they made. It was like fifty million dollars, and that's what they put into Maryvale. So because I, they're valuing, that's more. It's yeah. more than just now you have a nicer venue to watch spring training games in. Oh no, it's it's much much more about the fact that they wanted to invest. And we should also note the Brewers are one of the leading proponents of this reorganization thing that's been talked about. And if you want to know more about this, JP and I talked about it two minor league podcasts ago. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you can go listen to that. But the Brewers are one of the leading proponents of this. And I think part of their idea is they want to get more players, especially at young ages, at the facility in Arizona, because they want to be able to work with them with a big scouting staff, with a big coaching staff, with analytics people around. They want to have these guys have access to this sort of stuff. And that's why if they can get a, a change in terms of how the development works, and not be sending, you know, guys who are in their maybe their second summer as pros, sending them off to, you know, the Pioneer League or the Northwest League. Right. They and would rather do that. I think there's a big underlying realization that actually playing minor league baseball is not necessarily the best way to develop minor league players. Like you have to do it. You have to face competition and, and you know, learn how to hit people trying to fool you and things like that. But there's so much that, more that can be done. Um, like in the gym, in the, in the equipment, um, than people used to do, and especially on the pitching side. Especially on the pitching side, where yeah, it's actually pitching live games is not one of the best ways to learn how to pitch, as it turns out. So, um, well, no, because you can't get instant feedback the way you yeah. can if you're working with a bunch of high speed cameras exactly. that are catching every single thing that you're especially doing. Especially when you're facing less than elite competition, where you're maybe just blowing guys away with stuff that's just not that good when you get up to the next level. Right, and you're fooling yourself that the quality of your pitches is yeah. more than it is just because the guy you're facing is crap. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so uh, circling back... Um, Adam Hill was acquired uh, in the Keon Broxton trade, and now Keon Broxton's back. So yes. yeah. what exactly did the Mets get out of that trade? They're, um, nothing. They're the Mets. It all they goes back m- to zero. They Mets that up, didn't they? They, they did. really Mets that up, and it's wonderful, and I hope they continue to Mets things up, they're, and it continues to play to the Brewers' fans. They are the best. Um, it, they're they're so fun. Uh, I love the Mets. You know, we were saying we want more teams that are fun that yeah. do like crazy things because so many teams are just – you know, tied into, you know, more advanced evaluation of players. The Mets really aren't at this point. Yeah, I feel like they even kind of succeeded being backwards because they, they put together a good pitching staff through the draft. Oh, the uh, Brewers would kill for that pitching staff. Every, almost everybody would kill for that pitching staff. And, but you don't really do that that much. I mean, pitchers are just so risky to develop, and they did it. They went big in with big draft picks and big development on pitchers who are awesome, and it worked, and they're still bad. So um, that's... The Mets are kind of the best case scenario for the Mets, which is not good for the Mets because it's probably going to go downhill from there. Although, although they're they're not, they got sold, right? They're not. No, no, no. They no. haven't been sold yet, yeah. but oh, it is in discussions. Okay, and no, that one, would be a big one of thing. the uh, um, who are the owners? The Wilpons. Will one of the Wilpons, the oldest Wilpon, is like stepping back, and somebody was taking his place on the board, wasn't it? Well, no. So there is actual discussion that Stephen Cohn is going to buy the team. Yeah. And okay. he's going to take like 80% share of the yeah, team. I didn't know it wasn't done. I thought I thought it was like a done deal. No, no, it's okay. not a done deal. But yeah, I mean, the Mets are such... They I, I put this on Twitter yesterday. 
They came out and they tried to claim they lost $60 million each of the last two years. The only way in Hilarious. any universe that that could possibly be true is if they basically said, hey, that SNY money, you know, from showing Mets games all goes into the Wilpons pockets and it doesn't go to the Mets because they own both things. So if they diverted well, all the revenue from the team which, to themselves, which, which they probably they, did. They did. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure their accounting is creative. Well, just like we're going to see that in Chicago. That's how they ended up with, you know, in the Bernie Madoff situation in the first place, because that's I don't know if people know that. But the reason that the Wilpons are so poor is they lost a ton in the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. So they're, you know, Barry Alvarez, too. Was was Barry in that? Barry was yeah, he was a low level investor. Uh, but yeah, Barry right. Barry lost some money in the uh the Ponzi scheme as well. Oh yeah. So we uh, gotta do this DJ Augustine question though. DJ or Nick? Oh Nick, sorry. Okay. Uh any any insights into how the competitive competitive balance round A and B uh, picks are figured? Curious how St. Louis gets a higher pick than Milwaukee next summer. The Cardinals have a bigger TV market, attendance numbers, payroll, and a better record last year. Okay, so here's how this works. Uh, you qualify for compensation draft picks by being in the bottom 10 for either or both of market size and revenue. The Cardinals obviously are not in the bottom 10 for revenue. They're in the bottom 10 for market size, which is ridiculous because the Cardinals market is so much bigger than St. Louis. They have practically, they have like an 11 state area where they draw fans and they draw like significant well, again, TV ratings and all that. Again, that, that goes back, you know, 70 plus years when the Cardinals were the yeah, team west. K, KMOX or yeah, whatever. They were, they were the station. team west of the Mississippi, basically. So It should be based on where you're blacked out. That's how it should be based. Right, and they are they're in like I think they're blacked out in like eleven states. Are, it's, it's huge. It's remarkable. So anyway, uh, you get on that list for being one of those two things. Now, the Oakland A's actually dropped out of the competitive balance thing this year. Good revenue year, huh? But they were well, no, they had been out. They should have been out of it for a while, oh, and they right. were getting in because they'd been grandfathered in. And finally, uh, I think other owners were like, "Screw you! You're just like you choose to behave as a small market, and you're not." And you you should not behave this way, but you just pocket all this money. So screw you. We're not doing this anymore. But guess who came in? The Detroit Tigers. The Detroit really? Tigers, because they are now bottom uh, 10 in revenue. Oh. Okay. So the Tigers have come in. Yeah. I mean, they're still uh, not bottom 10 in market, obviously. Detroit's a fairly sizable market still. Uh, but they're bottom. All those, because there's so many Lions fans, they're not paying attention to the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but here's how it works. Basically, they put in place uh, a a thing in 2017 where half the teams would get a comp A pick one year and they'd get a comp B pick the next year and then they'd flip flop. And this is the year for the Cardinals to have the, the A and the Brewers to have the B. It literally is that silly. Huh. There is supposed to be some sort of calculation in here about like how you do like record wise, like record is supposed to help you like if you win. But it doesn't change you from like a comp A or a comp B to a comp A. It will move you within that pool, which is, you know, it's a small move. But basically, you get in for being a small market. And it's helpful for teams that are legitimately small market. St. Louis being in this has been a joke since the beginning. Yeah. Well, St. Louis is kind of weird 
Because it's not like St. Louis itself is some massive market. No, no, certainly not. And they're kind of they're boxed in by a bunch of teams. Guys, St. Louis is the Packers of they football. Are, but, like, well, that's what I was getting to, and that's the thing: St. Louis being that classic team in the NL. Yeah. You still read to this. Day, you still read to this day that without revenue sharing, the Packers would cease to exist. Like that was true in the '80s. It's not true anymore. Not it's it's ridiculous that people say it. They are one of the most popular teams in the NFL. Their market is gigantic. Just like the Cardinals, they're one of the most popular teams in baseball. Their market is gigantic. And it doesn't matter. In in football, it really doesn't matter where you play. You could play in the middle of nowhere. And if you're a popular team and people would want to travel to go there, you could play in the middle of nowhere. Like it really it makes almost no difference. Baseball is very different because you're trying to fill a stadium 81 times a year. Yeah. And well, so it really does matter I'm how curious. market-wise. Aside from Dallas, who just dwarfs everybody, and then probably Washington. You think Washington? I was going to say New York and Philadelphia. The Giants. Uh, yeah, probably Philly, I guess. I mean, I thought who, Washington is high because they don't have to split their market, whereas they, uh, the New York teams have to split their market. So the point being, aside from those teams, who else really competes nationally with like the Packers? Uh, actually, the Bears do. Okay, uh, sure. So they're, they're one of the big ones. Which makes sense because, again, when you're talking about teams with tradition. Yeah, but a lot of the teams with tradition, like out west, have kind of been destroyed. Like the Raiders would have been one of those teams, but no, not anymore. No, well, they, I was looking at them in the, the AFC, so yeah, um, but, it's a little different. But They've the, been so poorly run that they've managed to screw up being a, a historic franchise. Yeah, they're just... just they the, really need to get to Vegas because it just makes too much sense. <laughs> it's, well, yes, and soon, but... Um, but like the Packers are like with the, with the Cowboys, like the national teams, like, and the, the Bears are to some extent too. There's just Chicagoans all over the place for whatever reason. It's actually one of the reasons the car, the, the St. Louis Cardinals are big is they still have a big Chicago is Southern Illinois following as well. Um, but yeah, th- those teams are independent of their market size at this point. It does not matter at all. That, yeah. Yeah. It is interesting about the, the Cubs versus the Cardinals is you get a lot of Illinois that's Cardinals fans. Uh, tons. Um, I mean, if, if you're making like an election map, the majority, I bet most of Illinois probably goes red there. When you get to rural Illinois, when it's not like the yeah. Chicago market itself. Yeah, it's almost all Cardinals fans mm-hmm. right? anywhere down south. Um, it's really just a part of Chicago and southern Wisconsin. That well, the Cubs well they, they, the get Cardinals, some, they get some Iowa, too, they because Iowa, they have the Iowa the Cubs. Iowa Cubs. Well, but no, there's the, nobody there in Iowa. The Cardinals are massive in like... Arkansas yep. in Oklahoma, like they well, are again. It, you historically, look, you look at what still. baseball was before. What was it like, nineteen fifty four? And we should also mention. I mean, there the was Car- nobody out west. It was the Cardinals are, and nobody else. They're also the Yankees of the National League. They're yeah. They have the most championships. They they, they won and they were the furthest west. Yeah. So they basically got to take over that entire region. One of you look. They've never had more than I think fifteen years without a World Series title, and it. Like going back to like the 1920s, they are every generation has their good teams. There were teams in the 20s that were good. There were teams in the 40s that were good. There were teams at the 60s that were really good. There were teams in the 80s that obviously they won a World Series. Oh, tell me more about the the Cardinals in the 80s. I want to relive that as a Brewers. Like fan. I think there there is the 80. I guess 82 to 2006. They tell, tell me World more Series. about Daryl Porter. But like <clears throat> the Cardinals, you look at like when they have losing seasons, like. It's it's Packers level of people going like people lose their jobs on one losing season just because it's not acceptable. Like you just you know, it gets destroyed. 
Yeah. So, anyways, that that was way off topic as far as what the comp picks were. Oh, so, it is interesting to so to consider what the markets are and basically how much history is behind basically, you know, what teams are able to make versus what their actual mm-hmm. quote unquote markets are in this case. Yeah, I mean the Cardinals punch way above their weight class, and they should not be involved in this. And somebody should get them. They out of shouldn't. It, but, but how do you do it? I mean, how do you make that case? I mean, you just don't allow them. You create an exception. There's no on practical them. way to do it because the Cardinals are part of the argument. I was going to say, on what? I mean, yeah, yes, no. we want the Cardinals to not get that advantage. Yeah, but not gonna happen. You, you, yeah, just it doesn't work, I think, if you have two different reasons why teams can get well, those. Well, maybe. Picks. I don't know how close the Cardinals are to moving out of the market size because that's what they're getting. It's obviously not revenue. It's market size. Maybe if uh, the market's changed a little bit, they would get pushed further out. Like if there was expansion, maybe they would get pushed out. Mm, maybe. That would help. It's a hard thing to define. So. Yeah. Okay. So Orlando Arcia and Ben Gamble were signed to deals and they avoided arbitration in the arbitration bloodbath. Should we call it that? Yeah. yeah. I think this, this, it was this, it a bloodletting? This is the season for, <laughs> for the arbitration bloodbath after the free agency. Bloodbath and the Brewers were not the only team. Not at all. It's a, it's a league wide trend. And that's part of why the Brewers, I think, felt comfortable about it is they saw how many players were getting pumped onto the market and they're going, okay, well, we're going to have opportunities at some of these guys that other teams are letting go too. So they knew that that gave them additional flexibility. Yeah, this is is really going to feed on itself because it's also going to drive down free agent prices, which will drive down future arbitration prices as well. Well, though the free agent market has so far been pretty robust. Yeah, we'll see how it is once we're all said and done here. It's been robust, but we haven't seen the top of the market yet. No, we haven't. But the top of the market didn't really suffer a ton. But also, I mean, the thing is... Even in the austerity years, the top of the market was relatively okay. Again, Moustakis is an outlier. Grandal getting a little over $18 million a year isn't like a drastic overpay, I think, for what people think Grandal should get. Drew Pomerantz got four for 36. Wait, wait, wait. That's a huge deal. You look back the past few seasons, relievers have A, gone off the market early, and B, gotten paid. Relievers have gotten paid. They are the consistent exception to this. People are doing that now. It's a big change of 10 years ago. Relievers are making their money. It's the place to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to get paid, pitch multiple innings as a reliever. Yep. That, that is true. You're right. And again, the Brewers are looking for the next Drew Pomerantz. They're not looking for Drew Pomerantz. Well, like they would have taken Pomerantz They definitely back. would have taken Pomerantz if it, if it would have worked in their budget. Okay, so Gamble got $1.5 million and a $2.4 million club option in 2021. That is a good price for Ben Gamble, who is... Just a guy, but fun to have. Yeah, it was. I mean, he was projected by MLB trade rumors to get 1.6. So it's it's fine. Well, the, and you can play him in a bunch of places, is, too. The Arcia one was actually yep. a big discount off of what had been Yeah, projected. so Arcia got 2.2 2 for 2020, and uh, trade rumors projected 2.7. So they saved about $500,000 on Orlando Arcia, yeah, according to those projections. That right. arbitration maybe wouldn't have gone so well for Orlando there. So um, I'm not sure. And it's always that was I always like when teams settle ahead of going to hearings with guys because those hearings, from what I've heard, oh, man. are just hell on earth. They are brutal. Like players should not attend those. They're required to. Oh, are they? they by, are. by rule, by they rule have to be there. Okay, which, which the union wants. So the this union, is the, the time. union is the one who is pushing for players to be there. They yeah. want to hear. They want players to. Yeah, they this know is it's this is good, the time of year where all of your noise canceling headphones are on sale. So go out there and buy a pair uh, and don't listen. Any Anybody who's a player, don't listen to whatever they're saying. Yep. Because everybody's full of shit. Well, no, it's good sides. for the players to hear it because they well, know that this is what 
the cold bloodedness of the game. Like, hey guys, okay. this is real. Here's what's what's interesting. Um, the the season that Jonathan Lucroy was traded to the Rangers, we were doing uh, weekly interviews with him at Miller Park. Oh yeah, here we go. And I bring this up because there was at one point. I forget how we got onto it after we did the interviews and he was talking about how players were evaluated. He's like, have you ever heard of war? And what year was that, that he got traded? 20, uh, 2016. 16. Have you ever heard of war? I would be like, dude, you are a decade behind everybody else. If you're bringing this up as a way to say like, oh, I know how I'm being evaluated now. So, I mean, there, there is this attitude or this realization that players need to make that they're not being evaluated in the same way that they used to think they were. No, no, no. They aren't at all. Like I said, the idea that somebody in 2016 brought up to me, have war. you ever heard of yeah. war? I was like, I know how, like I can find how to calculate yeah. war online. I can do it myself if I really want to. I mean, what do you mean? Have I heard of it? <laughs> I'm like, there's like how many different versions of it out there that you can yeah. go and find. That's crazy. So I, I was at a prospectus event at Miller Park a couple of years ago, probably four or five years ago now. And the speaker that they arranged that that day was... Um, actually one of the attorneys for the team who conducted um, the arbitrations. And he talked about what it's like, which is there's a, usually a player, a rep, and like one attorney on the player side. And like, I think an attorney for every team um, plus the, the, the team's attorney plus negotiators. So there's like 35 guys from the team at every arbitration. And um, it, MLB teams are allowed to collude. They're allowed to share information. It's part of their antitrust job. Um, uh, exception they uh, before any arbitration deal is approved they circulate it to the all the rest of the teams and get sign off on that and he got a question as to like why they actually do that and he said well if you overpay even by twenty five thousand dollars in this arbitration it it builds on itself over future arbitrations and that price goes up and up and up so everybody has to sign off on it so that this doesn't spiral out of control do you know about the belt do you remember this story that mlb had among front offices and i think it was distributed at like the the following like winter meetings or the the following uh maybe gm's meetings yeah because there's less media attention there the team that has the best record in arbitration that gets players below whatever they were projected to get and i don't know how the projections work gets a like championship a, a championship belt, belt yeah. like wrestling and it when it got out that they were doing this people were appalled obviously and were like this is terrible uh, but yeah, I mean, they take arbitration. We think of it as a relatively like you're arguing over just like a few hundred thousand dollars here and there for teams. They're arbitration. On it. Yeah. And like Kim Ng, who is still waiting for a chance to be mm -hmm. uh, a, a GM somewhere. That's where she made her reputation yeah. was as like the queen of arbitration, like case making. I would just love to see any other sports athletes have to actually go through arbitration like baseball players are actually pretty mature for doing this you don't really hear about people like getting mad or freaking out about it. they all kind of understand no, it's business like if you put like a lot of football players or especially basketball players through it i, I think that you'd have some really interesting stories come out of it so well there have been some some things where people have come out of them saying oh my it god it happens that was, once in a while yeah. you do hear it and i think like trevor bauer maybe was one of them like it sounds he, like something he, trevor he bauer do you, do you think trevor bauer has takes <laughs> Yeah, like, but Trevor Bauer, like, yeah, hearing that, it had to just, like, make him insane. Yeah, that would be an interesting one. I'll bet Granky's just like, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> He's gotten paid. He doesn't care at this point. Well, I mean, in arbitration is, it's a narrow window of a guy's career, but it is also, a big part of it is because it's the first time a guy makes real money. 
So sure. at that time, even though, yeah, okay, you're making three million instead of uh, you know half a million. At that time, that is a monumental, life-changing thing at that time. In the, the broader sense, like at the end of a guy's career, it matters relatively little. But at that time, it is hugely transformative. So you can see why they focus on it. Yeah. So uh, they also settled with Hater. He's getting 4.6. No, 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 no. Oh. No. Hater was tendered. They have not settled, and that's actually a <coughs> really it. big thing. So they tendered Hater. Canable and Suter. Haters projected at 4.6, Canable 5.1, Suter 0.9. There was news this week about Hater, and this is going to be fascinating to watch. There is apparently an exception in arbitration for players of exceptional talent, and where players who are really, really good can argue that like the, the standard things don't apply, Hater is probably going to go in looking for like 10 million. And is going to try to basically blow that number, which is the standard number. Like 4.6 is kind of what they figured him to be. Sure. He's going to go in arguing, and his agent is going to go in arguing that he is an exceptional talent. And I don't think it's necessarily an accident that, given what we know about how arbitration works, and we just talked about, that the Brewers have floated the idea of trading Hater. Now, I don't think it's going to happen. Now, are they also clearing some money just in case Hater gets paid? I don't know that they have to clear money for hater getting well, paid. Well, but I if, don't think if that they're that's... looking at what their budget is, you know, they've had guys that were kind of basically on the bubble, and they've said, "Well, we're going to make uh, maybe our, five or, or ten million for hater isn't really like they it, they probably have this as you, you know, but you say five or ten million for hater, and Shaw was projected at what four point seven million. Yeah. Uh, Nelson was three point seven, Guerra was three and a half, Claudio was two point two, Saladino was. It's a, a fair dollars. point, but I think I'm mostly- just saying like that kind of can add up. And if they're guys on the bubble, they can say, "Well, in case we're paying Hater this money, I don't think so. I think that for those cases, it's much more about them thinking that there's a depth of players available to them that they can go after, and so they're looking at what the replacement cost is. They think they can get value commiserate with that for less money elsewhere. Much more so than I think that they're clearing out money so that they could potentially pay Hater. I don't think that's what this is. By the I way, really do don't. we think anything of the comment of was it Shaw's uh, manager? His oh, his his agent or his agent saying, basically saying yeah. you know the 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 team a team that believes in Travis Shaw is going to get a hell of a player. Yeah. What do we think of that comment? I think it's just agent speaking that. If Travis Shaw was going to be a hell of a player, he there's no reason he couldn't have been it last year. So yeah, he got plenty of opportunities yes, last he did. year. He, it's not like I mean, he they did, did not pull the plug on him, you know, really early. Plus, he got a late season a chance to prove himself I, after I going down. And we saw Domingo Santana was... come up and you know at least hit in some big positions. Or Orlando Garcia came I, back up after getting sent down. That and was not had a, a punishing Shaw sending him down. That was a, like, look, you got problems. You go sort them out when nobody's watching you, and then we'll call you back up, which they did. So, well, and it was also we just have a much better player for this roster spot in Keston Hira. Yeah. So we need to do that as opposed to. Yeah, I get it. I like. I understand what you guys are saying. The problem here is that ultimately, like. Travis Shaw, 50 plate appearances or whatever, which is what he got like in the between the two Keston Hero stints, right? Like he came back up. He got maybe 50 plate appearances. That's not enough time to actually judge anybody on. JP pointed this out a bunch. Oh, sure. That like, yeah, he was getting chances, but like guys often take, you know, significantly longer than that to like turn around. So this idea that like Travis Shaw, like 
he he did kind of lose out on chances last year, and I'm not saying it's unjustified. It was justified. They had better options, and they used those he options. He did, but they had a lot of belief early in him. Well, they tried to stick with him as long as they because could. Because there were a lot of people who, you know, just as regular fans, were looking at what Travis Shaw was doing and were making the case, like, this guy's terrible. They need to make a change right now. And because most people earlier, yes. Yeah, because most people would bail earlier than most teams are going to. They're going to give players a shot that, that they believe in. Travis Shaw got that opportunity. It's hard to make a case he was treated unfairly. Like, that's the thing. So it, He wasn't treated unfairly. Any, that's the thing. So any whining he wants to do after the fact or through his agent, like, whatever. That's that's just trash. And I'd like to see Travis Shaw from the previous two seasons back. Yes, me and too. I, and I also that would have been nice. And when you say, like, Travis Shaw, I get why a guy would say, hey, I had these two good seasons, and I really started to lose playing time pretty early in the season. Even though I he, like he would admit, I'm sure he was struggling, but he lo- started losing playing time very early. He was losing playing time by May. Okay, but the other thing well, is, like, but he was dreadful. Like, and they again, they also, had options. Like Mustakas ended up going to second base. Like Shaw was a good sport moving to second base two seasons ago, and then he went back to third. Was that because he asked to go back to third? Because Mustakas was a very good sport about moving to second base after that. And it well, seemed like it was Shaw because would, Shaw was the better defender at third. Yeah, that but it seems like it Shaw also five. made more sense at second base than Mustakas. Mm, I mean, there was a, he had the experience edge, but again, Shaw is the better defender at third. So yeah, but, anyway, but, like, but if you're saying okay, set your infield. I mean, if Shaw is the more mobile fielder, I'd rather have him at second base and Moustakas playing I relatively assume Shaw's more third. comfortable at third base than he is at yes. second base. They moved him back to where he was comfortable and he still sucked. And yeah. he still had, yeah, he had a really, really awful year. So, but yeah, I mean, those guys were tendered and we'll see. The hater thing, watch that. It's going to be fascinating because do you that's know, going to be a holy war. Do you know anybody else who has achieved that status in arbitration and how it's gone for them? Um, I think Ryan Howard. Huh. would have been one, but he settled high. All right. Um, and I think part of the reason he settled high was because he was potentially going to get that because he, I think he already had, by the time he hit arbitration, he already had at least one MVP. Okay. That'll or he had it. an MVP. So, like, yeah. Didn't and, he also get the biggest, like, pre-arb deal of any they point? Did, he did. And it was like nine. It was like $900,000 and most. You just no, have no, no. to. Oh, yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Because most teams just had to, like, renew contracts at, like, Five hundred sixty thousand dollars, or something like that. The Phillies gave him right like when Prince Fielder got renewed after his two thousand seven yep. hitting fifty home runs, and people freaked out because it was like, "Oh, you're not giving him like," and he was mad he didn't get more money, which he should have been. But also, that's the system. Yep. But uh, yeah, that was they did. I know the Phillies just gave uh, Ryan Howard just a big amount of money that they didn't have to give. And I think it was to try to make sure that he was happy. <laughs> it was basically buying his happiness. Yeah. Okay. The non-tendered player that I have a question about is Jimmy Nelson. I, I think because there was some hope that he'd come back this past season healthy and pitch well. And clearly, you know, he was dealing with a shoulder injury that was major. Like this in past eras was clearly a career ender. So how do we feel about the fact that they didn't bring him back this season? Like, does this mean Jimmy Nelson's career is over? Oh, he's going to continue to pitch and try to get his way back to the big leagues and figure out a way to get batters out. Of that, I have no doubt. And I think he might even be successful. I think the the problem was the Brewers were looking at having to pay him about $3.7 million, according to MLB Trade Rumors. So somewhere, you know, approaching $4 million. Well, There's was probably that, better was ways. Was that just renewing the number he had gotten the previous season? Yes. 
Yeah. Which he had gotten a year earlier. From when, the year earlier. When he was good. Yeah. When he hurt. was good. And before he got hurt. Yeah. Ultimately, I think he's, he's going to continue to try. And he's going to continue to probably try different things to see if he can have a successful career. And I wouldn't bet against him necessarily. But I think... The Brewers. I mean, at this point, I'd, I'd bet against him. Like you mentioned, this is usually career-ending and has been for a long time. I think it still is. It's just a devastating injury and hard to fix. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, physically, he was back to not quite his original velocity, but he yeah. was close. He wasn't. He wasn't super far off of his original velocity. I know that it's a big difference between say ninety-three and ninety-five. Like that does matter a lot, but. The fact that he was able to get back to 93 suggests to me that maybe there's, there is a way for him to be a successful big league pitcher again. Maybe not to the level we saw in 2017. I mean, but we're looking at a pitcher that took a long time to figure it out to get to that level. Like, it took him a lot of development with the tools he had to get to that point where we're like, oh, Jimmy Nelson is now that dominant pitcher that, you know, he always kind of had the potential to be and we hoped he'd be. And it, it was a short time that he was that guy. It was. It wasn't even that full season. Yep. Right. It was, it was It was only part of that season. He did seem to come in that spring training like a different guy, and it, it backed up from like the moment he hit the mound in spring training to the end. Like He really was a different guy in 2017 than he had been before. But, yeah, my point is that I still think it made sense for the Brewers to non-tender him, even though I think that there is a chance that he figures out how to become a productive big leaguer again. I just don't think that at 3.7, there's better, there's better ways to spend that money to figure out if a guy can be good, right? Like they can do different things with that money. Yeah, I also I just think his ceiling's probably lower than it was too. Like it, it has to be, right? It has to be, and I, there's so much that can go wrong, control wise, velocity wise. It's I don't know, <clears throat> durability like I, wise, durability wise too. Um, it's just rough. You know, and uh, we have a question from Charlie Robleski. He says, uh, we keep hearing that we haven't closed the door, et cetera, with uh, any of these players who've been non-tendered or, you know, they didn't pick up an option. Um, are you guys aware of any instances where clubs have actually re-engaged with players in these situations? Uh, it doesn't seem like this ever happens. And all of the guys have posted the obligatory goodbye and thanks Milwaukee social media posts. I was racking my brain for this, and I can't think of any, but I don't think it's necessarily – I don't think the door is necessarily closed, especially the guy I think that there's a very good chance is a Brewer next year is Eric Thames. Yeah. I, I think that that, like, that was kind of a legitimate situation where they're like, we think that we'd really like to have him back, but just not at this price. And that's different than turning down arbitration too. I mean, they, they denied an option as opposed to turning down arbitration. So I can't think of any scenarios where it's happened before, but I do think Thames is not a bad bet because that's just a skill set that doesn't get paid that much most of the time. First baseman, you know, platoon. Um, yes, he's versatile, but he's older. Um, so he might hit the market and just find that he's not getting offers or at least nothing substantial. And or he's getting offers from crummy teams. It's yeah. like if you're that age, you might as well take a... You know, a little bit less from the Brewers if you think they're going to be competitive. Exactly. So uh, if you get, you know, a decent offer from the team that you're comfortable with, maybe that happens. I wouldn't bet on it, but I think it's possible. Okay, so we have a Patreon question from Devin Bearwolf. He says, am I the only one worried that Yelich will demand a trade if the Brewers don't do anything substantial this offseason? Now, Ryan and I, we, we, we were talking about this earlier, and going into the offseason, people were complaining about how they needed to fill uh, – 
catching with Grendel likely to leave. They needed to do something about Arcia. Um, and, you know, they still have some starting pitching needs and stuff like that. But they seem to be addressing uh, some of these positions, even though they're cutting payroll, I guess. Well, yeah, and we don't know what their final payroll is going to be yet. So we we can't say they're really like overall cutting because we just don't know. It's it's speculative at best at this point. So Well, and I guess what I'm getting to is even though people are mon- it's like people are monitoring the payroll separately from monitoring yeah. what some of the team needs are. Like, do we need to start pairing some of these things up to get a better overall picture of what the Brewers are doing this offseason? Well, they have tremendous flexibility right now. They can really add at a number of positions they can add at both corners of the infield they can add in the corner outfield they can still add at catcher i mean if something were to come along they could do that and then plan on running that's you know. true they could like they have a lot of different things that they can do here a lot of different uh, well options. what are they going to do when ryan braun is playing first base in 2020 i think he is going to play at first base some at least so they go out and find that left fielder I think that or do they find that right fielder and then Yelich moves back to left field where he's a better outfielder? Well, they could do any number of these things. I think that like JP brought this up and we talked about this, that like JD Martinez, if the Red Sox really decide, hey, we got to get this payroll off of our off our books and they're willing to just give him up for nothing. The Brewers could say, hey, that's great. We need a second like top 10 bat in baseball in our lineup. And we'll happily do that because we know it's a three-year commitment, and it's fine. We'll we'll deal with the bad defense, and we'll we'll work around it. You could see that. I mean, you think about that. That well, idea. Well, if you have of, Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich in left and center, that's fine. You can totally do like that. you can cover a right fielder. You can cover it, yeah. And like, but you think about like one of the things that, and I posted this on Twitter this week. They really do need to add a second really good bat to go with Yelich. They need to add a guy. Like the, I said, their number one priority this offseason needs to be His adding, name is Keston Hero. Adding a guy who makes Keston Hero their third best hitter instead of their second best. Yeah. Keston Hero is going to be elite. What are you talking about? If you can... Hold on. If you can add J.D. Martinez and have him paired up with Christian Yelich in the middle of the lineup, it makes lineup depth concerns a lot more minimal it because does. you have two absolute monsters in the middle of your lineup. And it... It covers for a lot of sins. It makes up for a lot of weakness at the back end, which we think is probably going to be likely. Yeah. But to get back to the question, Yelich probably doesn't demand a trade unless they're bad for <clears throat> probably multiple seasons. Um, at uh, which point he's getting close to free agency anyway. And if exactly. the Brewers are bad at that point. They'll trade him for picks. So, Or not picks. This is not football. Sorry, I'm <laughs> in the wrong podcast. Um, trade, him, <laughs> trade him for prospects. Um, but... Yelich also does not care how they win as long as they win. Like it, that's no players do. If they put together a good team um, and they're kicking everybody's butt, then he'll be happy. So well, and he also played for the Marlins, so his tolerance is high. Yeah. That is, you joke, but like that's legit. I mean, he has seen the shit. Like he he, he never had, requested a trade from the Marlins. Uh, he did at the end. Actually. Oh, he did. At yeah, the, he did. Well, he, he okay. tried to push his way out at the end. Once, yeah. once everyone was being traded, and he knew he was on the block as well. Sure, he could go out and say, "Yeah, trade me." Like he didn't want to be there anymore at that point, which is totally understandable and not a problem. Yep. I don't think he's anywhere near that with the Brewers. I, I really don't. No. no, not after two straight playoff appearances. No, I don't know how he could be. Definitely you know. not. Uh, and and players, I think, for the most part, don't view it the same way that most fans no, from the don't. outside are looking at it. So uh, we have a question from Brad Ford. He asks, is there a realistic scenario where the crew spends $10 million less than last year and can win the division? 
Yes, there is. Absolutely. It's not easy. But first of all, $10 million isn't that much money um, in the grand scheme of things. And if they can find a, more bargains, uh, there's still like there's still a lot of time before the season starts. If you look at last year, they're probably not going to f- flounder into a one-year Grandel and a one-year Moustakas again. That was probably a, a rare occurrence. But there are a lot of ways to get value on the cheap. And it's not easy. It sometimes blows up in your face. Sometimes you're Travis Shaw's who are... All-star players one season turn into pumpkins the next season, but it is entirely possible that they do that, yes. The Cubs are not in any great shape again. Cardinals are fine, but they're not world beaters. And Well, and I think I mentioned this on Twitter. The Cardinals and Cubs are both financially, they're Straps. in kind of rough shape <laughs> they right are. now. They are. It's really weird. They're in rough shape. The Car- Well, the Cubs, because they're up against the luxury tax. Actually, they're well over the luxury tax. And that is causing them issues because of the self-imposed nature of them saying we don't want to be above the luxury tax. So they have that issue. The Cardinals, because just the way that their contracts have been structured and the way things are working right now, they're paying a bunch of guys a lot of money towards the end of their deals. Uh, I think Matt Carpenter is making a mint compared to what he's providing value-wise. I know that you know Goldschmidt just signed a big extension. Like They have guys making money that aren't exactly providing value on that money. And <clears throat> unless they plan on significantly increasing payroll, they're not going to be able to add a bunch this winter either. They'll do some shuffling, obviously, yeah. right? Like everybody does. But they're not going to be able to necessarily go out and sign like multiple big free agents. Exactly. And sure. the Cubs are going to cry poor, even though they have their just TV hilarious. deal siloed in a different uh, organization, basically. Yep. So that's going to be some creative accounting. It will. Oh, that's that is how this works now. Oh, they're going to make a lot of money, and none of it's going to be on the books in Chicago. And the Rickets are going to laugh all the way to the uh, Trump fundraiser. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, but there, there's no reason to be especially afraid of the Central this year. Last year, everybody thought it was going to be like one of the best divisions. The Pirates just completely folded. They're, unless you think Mustakas is like a huge difference maker, it's hard to see how the Reds are going to be. Well, yeah, it's I, weird. You know I mean, the Reds are the Reds be... are so weird because they actually had like a weird positive run differential for a lot of the year and kept losing close games. And they have game. Derek Johnson, so we all have to be worried. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Reds too. I think they may sense it an opposite or a, a moment where like the Brewers aren't as good as they yeah, were. Yeah, you're right. The Cubs aren't as good as they were. The Cardinals aren't as good as they were. So maybe they're pushing it. But I think the Reds. It's much more about their GM knows that is his scared. ass is yeah. yeah his ass is gone if so they don't do something. I mean, it's a good time for them to try to make a yeah. push for it, but it just doesn't seem like they've done it in the best way possible. Yeah, so the Brewers have to get a little bit lucky, as you always do, but it's certainly still possible. It's early. Don't give up yet. Okay, as far as free agents are concerned, we have Nick Castellanos, Corey Dickerson. How do you say it? Yoshitomo Chisugo, I believe. Okay. Who would be the best fit for the Brewers in 2020? And that's from PB Brucru. That right? is from PB Brucru, and that was a Patreon question. Yeah. Um, I've been reading a lot about uh, Tsugo, the the Japanese player. He is a first baseman, left-handed power hitter who has clubbed some ridiculous amount of home runs since nineteen or since twenty fourteen. Uh, it's like one hundred and ninety or something. He is a guy who will take a walk and has a lot of value that way. He has limited defensive flexibility, probably a first baseman. He could take a glove, kind of Eric Thames style, I think, and go play in the outfield, but not really. And, But he really does seem to fit with what the Brewers have prioritized in the past, and 
they could take a run at him. I think he's only 29 years old, if memory serves. He could be a guy that they could really value. They would have to pay a posting fee to his I was going to say, so what are they yep. looking to pay posting on something fee. like that? No idea. Not a it's clue. Like, if he signs, it would be because the market doesn't go bonkers for him. Like, people don't get really excited about him. You do have to pay a portion. I think it's 25% of what you give him has to go to the team. So, like, whatever you sign, add 25% of that. That is the posting fee. There's... So they would negotiate a contract with him and then 25% would plus would go to the team. Right. I believe so. It, yeah. It's, it's very complicated. The rules on that all changed. It used to be a much more, uh, didn't used to like negotiate the posting fee and then negotiate the contract. Right. The player would actually negotiate, uh, or sorry, the, the team would have an exclusive right. once they won the bidding to negotiate with the player, which really screwed the player. Yeah. The indeed. player now has more, ability and more flexibility to do it except those that are under 25 like uh um like otani have almost no flexibility because they have to sign for um amateur deal so they have to take that like the garbage deal uh but yeah i mean i could see castellanos being a guy that they like as well uh but he would need to be a guy that fell to them in terms of I mean, could he possibly fall to them since Rendon is the premier third baseman on the market? Yeah, but Castellanos is an outfielder at this point. He's not a third baseman at all. Like, you would not play him at third. <coughs> okay, so that's no, no, no. completely he's, out. He's, yeah, that, that's an old thing. He used to be a third baseman. He, I don't think he played anything other than outfield for the Cubs or the Tigers the last, like, two, three Not years. for the Cubs, he didn't. No. Nope. Yeah, he, he's purely an outfielder at this point. But he is... Which, again, they're still looking for an outfielder. Yeah, they are. He's... Well, potentially. I mean, right now, it is Ryan Braun, Lorenzo Cain, and... and well, they're looking for a first baseman. And Ben Gamble. They wouldn't say no to an outfielder, so... No, I think if you got the right guy in there... But the question is, it's going to be all about, like, who is the best deal? Like, Castellanos or uh, Tushugo could... Either one of those could be the, the best deal. It just depends on how the market shakes out for them, you know? Okay, we have a question from Jeffrey Emenecker on Patreon. How likely do you think it is that Stearns is counting on Burns and or Peralta as a legit option for the rotation? Not a long shot, but ultimately one of their six to seven options, which is actually pretty deep when you go six to seven. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're planning. They don't want to have either one of those guys on their opening day rotation. I don't believe. But I think they, as their sixth or seventh best option, I think that that could very well be the case. I suppose that's true. I I think that. How are they not the sixth or seventh options? There's just not that many players, but I I don't know. Like I I have never liked Freddie Peralta as a as a starter's profile personally. Um, I, I will cop to having liked Corbin Burns quite a bit in in the past. Um, a lot of people have liked Corbin yeah. Burns, and, and I think there's still some reason the, to be hopeful. It seems like he should be much better than he is. So I get while well, everybody is a fan. So, um, but. I think that they'll probably find other people and that if that comes down to those two again, that something's gone terribly wrong more than anything else. Because especially Peralta, like I think he I think he's a valuable bullpen arm for sure. Um he has a good bullpen profile. Um but I, I know they've shown they've shown in the past they're not necessarily bad. They might develop still. That's fine if they do, that's good, but I wouldn't count on it and I don't think the team is either. And Burns, I don't know what's up with that guy. So that was a weird season. 
Yeah, Burns is he's very much a wild card, but I yeah. think that they do plan on having him in the big leagues at some point this year. I, I think that the question is, how much are they banking on him to be of any use to them? Yeah, I mean, that's up to Burns. He's got to figure out something. So um, Yeah. He, he's a weird high spin rate, low movement guy. So I don't know what to make of that. I don't know how to fix it. Somebody probably does. It's not me. Well, again, I think if they fix the ball so it doesn't just leave the park with that anybody helps. who makes that's contact. True. That, that's a good point. That so, would be a big help to Corbin Burns. Yeah. A ju- juice ball, that's not his thing. Nope. No, and you do wonder about guys like this, how much having Narvaez catching some of their games at least yeah. impacts versus what well, Burns is doing. Burns was not a guy who lived on the edge of the zone, and that was part of his issue. So I don't that's know true. how a catching he, change is going to be. He lived in the middle of the zone. Yeah, that was his problem is he had good control and poor command. So I don't know why a guy with poor command who doesn't live on the edge of the zone is going to have that much of an issue with Narvaez. Yeah, it, he Corbin Burns' books could be written about trying to figure out what his deal is. Hey, I'm just so saying weird. it's not like Zach Davies where you're, you need to get every possible strike. No, it's not. It's not. It's He has legitimate stuff to miss bats. He just also has stuff that gets hit when it's in the wrong spot, and he needs to not put it in that spot as much. Yeah, and it definitely got hit hard. So, Okay, we're going to wrap it up for this week. I, we could go on for a while on this. So, so much uh, happened. It really did, and I don't think we even covered all of it. So we're going to call it a week, um, and obviously we have more to talk about next week as well. Uh, so we have a shout-out to a new patron who wants to do it. Ryan, do you want to do it? Because usually JP's the guy. Yeah, I uh, Kevin Kundlinger, right? K- Kundinger? Oh, there's no L in there. There's no L. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kevin Kundinger. I'm sorry, Kevin. Yeah. Way to he's, go. He's not going to respond, so you can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, again, uh, thanks again to everybody who um, subscribes as a Patreon. Uh, again, you get the Minor League Extra, uh, which is a monthly podcast, and... Our new Packers podcast, you get the weekly Packers preview from Paul, Yep. Um, which, like I said, it's illuminating. Going into the games, I've been surprised how many times after listening to the preview that I, I you know, pick up on like, oh, that's why these games are basically if, if you want to know this plan. If you want to know the specific weaknesses of the opponent every week, that's what we kind of delve into and where the Packers are likely to attack them and be attacked. So. And the frustration when the Packers don't attack the way they should. Uh, yes, that too, which they often do not. They... They really have a plan and stick to it. Sometimes it gels with what you should do. Sometimes it doesn't. By the way, not going so well right now. <laughs> I mean, they are up 17 to 6. Yeah, but it's the Redskins. They should be up by more than that. Yeah, yeah, they should have this game in hand. <laughs> Rodgers has been quite bad, so that's not good. And they might lose it, which would be embarrassing and should get some people fired. Well, you were saying before we started recording that you thought that there would be some changes uh, in the I, staff. I think Lafleur is the only coach who's back next year. I think Patton and Sean Menenga are both gone. So That's crazy. For a team that's... Uh, again, this is a Packers team that it seems to... Nobody has faith in, in what the actual well, record is. They're not that good. Like, they're Pythagorean. Works in baseball and football both. Not that good. They're, they're basically a 500 team. The NFL is weird this year. There's no middle... Uh, there, there's no middle class. There are good teams... And just garbage teams. And if you're um, a less than elite team and you happen to play a lot of terrible teams, which the Packers have, including at this moment, um, you can look a lot better than you actually are. That, that You saw them get outclassed by the 49ers. That's what they really are. They're a team that's okay, but cannot hang with the top of the league. So, 
Um, their defense is much, much worse than it should be. That Patton's gone. He's he's not a good guy. Yeah, you've talked a number of times about the amount of talent they have on the defense that just doesn't seem to be adding up. Yeah, and, and you, you have this comparison. Like, we saw what Dom Capers had when he had... He was throwing guys like Ladarius Gunther out there, one of the least athletic corners in the league, is his number one corner. And they were bad on defense, but they were also as good at defense as this team is with Zedarius and Preston Smith, with Jair Alexander, who I think is a good corner who's playing badly um, with better safeties, like tons of resources invested. This should be at least an average defense, and instead it, it is a bottom five defense. So that's that's unacceptable for the talent level that's here. Patton's got to go. This is scheme related. It's not personnel related. Yeah. So remember, if you want more info on the the Packers weekly, again, you can uh, listen to reporting is eligible. And then if you join our Patreon, you can get the weekly uh, Packers previews as well. And again, our Patreon's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Um, and then with that, you receive the minor league uh, extra podcast, which is a monthly podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can leave reviews, and that helps people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.